we don't deserve it, or I should say even when I don't deserve it, he's still a good father to me. Well, my name is Gary Bell, and I have the privilege of being one of the elders here at Strong Tower Bible Church. And so as you know, we have been going through a series called Be Strong. And today, I want to talk to you about being strong in your biblical view of money and possessions. So being strong in your biblical view of money and possessions. So if you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And so as you're turning there, just for those of you who don't know me, um, just to give you a little bit of background, I'm married to Alina, who's sitting right here on the third row. We um, have been married for 21 years. We have four great kids from almost 14 down to just about seven. Grayson will be seven on Thursday, and he's been celebrating his birthday for the last month. So, um, so we hopefully will be able to do it justice when it comes around. I have been in the financial services industry for over 20 years, and one of the things that I have really devoted my career and even ministry for the most part is to helping people understand what God's Word has to say about finances, because God's Word has a lot to say about money and possessions. In fact, Jesus said, it's written that Jesus said more about money and possessions than he said about heaven and hell. It's been written that he said more about money and possessions than he said even about prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he said, you can't serve two masters. Either you, will love, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. And I believe the reason he spoke so much on the topic is because he knew that money and possessions would be the one thing that challenged him for our devotion. So put a different way, it would be the one thing that would cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to shift it to the things that we own, the things that we have, and the position that God has allowed us to have. And so we, we need to make sure that we understand what he's saying in his word. Now the culture also has a way it wants us to view our money and possessions, right? Think about advertising. What's the purpose of advertising? The purpose of advertising is to cause us to be discontent with what we have so that we then go out and buy the products that that particular company is selling, right? Companies spend billions of dollars every year trying to persuade us and persuade our buying habits and the way we view the stuff that we have. Think about commercials and the little jingles that they come up with, the catchy phrases to stick in our minds and cause us to think about their company. So I'm, let's play a little game real quick. I'm going to say the first part of a jingle, and I want you to complete it, okay? Can we, can we do that? All right, so you deserve a break today at McDonald's. Exactly right. Um, now, I, I told that to my, friend, my, uh, my kids last night, and they looked at me like, Dad, what are you talking about? Because they're too young to remember that one. But McDonald's has switched it up. And so let me, let, let's see if you can finish this part. Da, 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 da. There you go. There you go. Jewel, did you see, did, did you hear that? The, the, the vocal on that? We'll talk later, right? Okay. All right. Cool. Um, so you see that these commercials and these jingles stick in our mind and it causes us 
to remember that particular company and that particular product as we're out and we're looking to spend money. And what I'm afraid of is that we get more from the culture and how the culture wants us to view money and possessions than we do God's word. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I mean, it's constantly coming at us, what the culture says. But then when it comes to what God's word says, sometimes it's like a trickle. And we need to make sure that we counterbalance that. And so what I want to do today is to help us understand from this parable what God has to say about how we view our money and possessions. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for um, the, the fact that we can come into your house, get charged up, ready to go back out into the week, uh, back out into the world and do battle for another week, just telling people about you, being a witness for you. Thank you, Lord, for the things that you allow us to be able to have, um, the things that you put us in, uh, in control of, and I pray that you would allow us to be able to understand what you say through your word about how we handle those things. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and that it would not be me, but that it would be you. And Lord, I pray that you would get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter over you? So let me give you a little bit of background here. Jesus is talking to the crowd, and here's a guy that comes up, a younger brother, and he tells Jesus, um, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Okay, we're good. Okay, great. Um, so this younger brother comes and says and calls Jesus teacher. Another word is rabbi. And so a rabbi was an expert in the law during that day. And so they would give legal rulings that were to be taken seriously and they were binding. It would be like us going downtown to see the judge downtown and the judge gives a ruling, and we have to follow it. It's the same thing with rabbi here, with the teachers of the law back in that day. And so we can also see, as we read here, that there was a dad, probably, who passed away, left an inheritance. He didn't have a will, and it's up to the brothers to figure it out. And during that day, the oldest brother was the one who decided how the money is split, how the inheritance was supposed to be split. And so they come to Jesus, and the younger brother asked Jesus to render this legal ruling between he and his brother on how the inheritance was to be split. And so the younger brother has reached this point in his mind where he said, I don't feel like, I feel like the inheritance that I'm going to get, the money and the possessions, is so important to me and is going to do me better than a relationship with my brother down the road. And so he's looking at the things that he can get and really kind of kicking to the curb his relationship with his brother. And I have seen this. I've seen families split over money. I've seen families that were, uh, were tight-knit from the grandparents to their children and their spouses and even the great-grandkids. And then all of a sudden you throw a lot of money on the table and a lot of possessions and all of a sudden relationships get strained, 
People say things that they would never say in, in, uh, in normal settings, and relationships are broken because of money. And what Jesus is saying here is that I'm not going to participate in that. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? Now, when he says man, it's not a term of endearment like Aubrey and I might look at each other and say, hey, man, how you doing? It's not that type of, of, of situation back then. It's, it really speaks of a displeasure. And so Jesus is looking at him and saying, I'm not getting into the middle of breaking up this family relationship over money. And so then Jesus looked, look at verse 15, and let's see what Jesus says. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. In a different translation, it says insatiable desires. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And so again, Jesus is looking and looks straight through the question that the younger brother asks and sees that there's greed there. That there's insatiable desires. He feels like his life is really, uh, will really be summed up by the stuff that he has. There is no life or soul-satisfying fulfillment in our money and our possessions. There's a part inside of us, and we all know this, there's a part inside of us that is tailor-made for a relationship with Christ. And there are times where we try to stuff that and fill that with stuff with money, with power, with relationships. And anytime we try to do that, it leaves us lacking and it leaves us unfulfilled because nothing can really take the place of that relationship. And when it says beware and be on your guard, that's not a one-time deal. It's, it's not beware one time. It's a continuous process. Continue to beware, continue to be on your guard because it is so easy to be able to shift and get off balance in the way that we view the things that God has given us. But that's not the message from the culture, is it? The message from the culture is we need to get all that we can get, and we need to have as much as we can have because we are our possessions. We're, we're a lot of times sized up by the way we dress, by where we live, the things that we buy. And so as we think about it, what are forms of greed or insatiable desires? Think about the season that we're about to enter, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Do you remember when the Christmas shopping season used to start the day after Thanksgiving? The stores would open up about 9 or 10 o'clock, and their normal times of opening up during the week. And then all of a sudden, they began to move it up, and so it was maybe 5 o'clock. And then it was midnight, the day after Christmas, stores would open at midnight. Now what do they do? Stores are open the day of Christmas at 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night. I remember we were in South Carolina one time, and one of the kids was sick uh, for Thanksgiving. And I had to run to Walmart to grab some Sudafed or something uh, for the kid. And I walked in, and there was a line wrapped all the way around different aisles in, in Walmart. And as I, walked, as I was walking through the aisles trying to figure out where the medicine was, people were looking at me like I was crazy because they thought I was trying to cut in line to get the new Xbox. And I thought, I'm just, trying, I'm just here trying to get some medicine. Insatiable desires, the greed, forms of different greed. What about income? Now, don't raise your hand on this, but has anybody ever said, if I only earned $10,000 more per year, I would be okay, I would feel fulfilled? Um, Elder Sherman Smith, some of you guys remember Sherm, he used to say, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. But I'll confess, I've said that before. 
And, but, but when we do that, we forget what Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Now, we know we need to provide for our families and we need to work hard, but when it causes us to forget our morals and our integrity and we start doing things that we know we shouldn't do just to make a buck, that's when we've taken it too far. Now, as I've worked, there are two things that I see that people, um, two mistakes that I see people make a lot of times, and that's buying too much car and too much house, trying to feel like their self-worth comes from where they live or what they drive. And I remember when Aline and I lived in Atlanta after we were married, uh, we lived in Atlanta for a couple of years, we bought our first starter home, perfect little house for us, and we were part of this Bible study. And so we, uh, one of the couples in the Bible study invited us over, invited the whole group over one night, one Saturday night. And as we walked through their door, their front door, I noticed their house. And it was a little smaller house um, than ours, a little older home. And I remember walking through the front door of our house that, after, that evening when we got home. And I kind of looked around and I thought, you know, I'm, I feel pretty good about our house. We have a nice house, um, nice foyer. And truth be told, I was feeling good about myself because of our house. Well, a couple of weeks later, another couple invited us over. <laughs> he or she was an emergency room doctor. He managed a dental practice. And so as we pulled up, they had a nice manicured lawn. They backed up to a golf course. They had a basement in their home. I have always wanted a basement in my home. <laughs> and they had a basement in their home. And I remember coming home that night thinking, you know, our house is a little small. I, I think we probably need to upgrade. My yard definitely doesn't look like their yard looked. And all of a sudden, I was immediately convicted. And I thought, really, Gary? Are you trying to get your self-worth and how you feel about yourself from the size of your house? When really, my self-worth and all of our self-worth should really come from our relationship with Christ and Christ alone. And so I was immediately convicted. When we do that, and when I did that, we fall into what Paul talks about to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I've seen that happen. I've counseled couples to not buy a particular home. And for whatever reason, they went and they did it. And it led to divorce. It led to bankruptcy. It led to broken relationships. And so we need to be careful to understand that we are not our possessions. We should not get our self-worth from what we have. And so Jesus, being the great teacher that he is, whenever he is talking and he's giving great wisdom, a lot of times he'll punctuate it with a parable. And that's what he does here. Look at verse 16. And he told them, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. So what are some observations here? The first thing we see is that the man is already rich, right? It says that a rich man, a different version says a certain rich man. So he was already wealthy. 
We also see that his land produced a bumper crop, probably not because of anything extraordinary that he did. When you talk to farmers, a lot of times they can do the same thing year after year after year. Put the, put the seed in the ground, water it, fertilize it, do exactly what you're supposed to. And there's some years you just don't have a great crop. A drought may happen, you may have a flood, but then there, there are those years where it seems like everything comes together at one time and you just have a bumper crop, more than you ever thought that you could have. Is it because of anything that you've done? No, it's just everything lined up the right way. And for this man, that's exactly what happened. It was a gift from God. But he only thought of himself. Did you notice in there? He used the pronoun I and my ten times. L look at verse 17. And, and he began reasoning with himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have goods, many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So he wasn't thinking about anybody else but himself. He wasn't thinking about the people that helped him put the seed in the ground. He wasn't thinking about the people that were going to help him harvest it. He definitely wasn't thinking about the poor, and he surely wasn't thinking about God. And so he was thinking only about himself. Another observation we look at is he was talking to himself. Now, as I was growing up, my mom told me that um, it's okay to talk to yourself, but just don't answer yourself, right? <laughs> well, this man answered himself and gave himself horrible advice. <laughs> In the Middle Eastern culture, when major decisions are made, a lot of times they would get together as a community and they would talk it through for hours. They talked to family and friends to try to make this major decisions. And it doesn't even have to be a major decision. They can be minor decisions. But you would have people to talk to. And this guy, evidently, for whatever reason, he'd alienated a lot of his family or friends. And he didn't have anyone to talk to. And maybe if he'd had somebody to talk to, they would have reminded him of Deuteronomy 8.18, when it says, it is the Lord God who gives you the ability to make wealth. And so it wasn't, it wasn't because he was so special, it was the Lord that allowed that to happen. None of us, quote unquote, make it on our own, right? You hear people say, well, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Really, that means you worked hard, but we know that God is the one that puts us in different positions of power. Not only that, we all have mentors that help us get wherever we're going. Either a mentor, a coach, a teacher, somebody to come alongside us and help us to figure it out to get where we're going. It's not by our, we never do it by ourselves. One other thing that we notice about this rich man is that he thinks he's going to retire into a life of leisure. Let me ask you, is, is, uh, is retirement a biblical principle? Retirement really isn't a biblical principle. You never really see anybody in the pages of scripture kind of retire into the beaches of Galilee, buy a condo, <laughs> just kind of kick back relax. Um, maybe saying, you know, I'm going to join this, this fabulous golf course in Jerusalem and just kind of play golf for you know, seven days a week. You never see that happening. Now, to change what you do vocationally from day to day, to give more time to ministry, that is a worthy goal. 
And that is the goal. If God blesses you enough to where you have enough resources to be able to pull back and to not have to earn as much income or not work for income at all, but then you give yourself to a ministry, give yourself to the kingdom, that is a worthy goal. And, that's what, and that is something that we can strive towards. It's interesting. This whole concept of retirement really took root in America back during the Great Depression, during the 30s. During that time, um, there, were, there were a lot of older workers or older men in the workforce in different companies. And the companies were trying to figure out how do we move them on because they had a lot of younger men that were unemployed or either couldn't advance in the company. And so they came up with, pensions were already around, but that's when they really took root and really expanded. That was the time FDR came up with the Social Security Administration to provide Social Security. And so back then, that is where this whole concept of retirement really took off. And now we have people wanting to retire at age 50, 55, to do, just kind of hang out. And so it's okay to do that as long as you're not retiring from something, but you're retiring to something in order to make sure that you are continuing to advance the kingdom. So that's not the, what we get from the culture, right? Because the commercials we see from financial institutions, what is your number and how fast can you get there? You, you guys remember that? Follow the green line. Uh, again, nothing wrong with that, but we need to keep it in proper perspective. Well, look at verse 20. God all of a sudden steps in on the scene and interrupts the plans of this rich man. He says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? You think that all of this happened because of your hand, but you'll die tonight. And who will have all of your possessions? Here's a newsflash. We can't take anything that we have here with us to the next life. It, doesn't, it, it just can't happen. But we can send it ahead by investing in the kingdom. You've heard the saying, you can, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Um, there was a story I read recently that I thought was very appropriate for what we're talking about. So let me, let me take a couple of seconds and read this. There was a man who had worked all of his life and had saved all of his money. He was a real cheapskate when it came to his money. He loved money more than just about anything, and just before he died, he said to his wife, now listen, when I die, I want you to take all my money and place it in the casket with me. I want you to take all my money, because I want to take all of my money to the afterlife. So he got his wife to promise him with all her heart that when he died, she would put all of the money in the casket with him, and then one day he died. As he was stretched out in the casket and his wife was sitting next to one of her best friends, the ceremony went on. And when, it, when they finished the ceremony, just before the undertaker got ready to close the casket, the wife said, wait a minute, and she had a shoebox with her. She came over with the shoebox and placed it in the casket. Then the undertakers locked the casket and rolled it away. Her friend said, I hope you weren't crazy enough to put all that money in there with that stingy old man. She said, yes, I promised him. I'm a good Christian, and I can't lie. I promised him that I would put the money in the casket with him. You mean to tell me you put every cent of his money in that casket with him? I sure did, said the wife. I got it all together, put it in my account, and I wrote him a check. That's not what the culture would tell us, right? 
the culture would tell us, we can, would lead us to believe that somehow we can take it with us. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, he who, with, he who dies with the most toys wins. And that is so counter, counter to what God has to actually say. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Have you ever thought about it this way? We're all building a net worth here. We're putting money away in retirement plans. We're saving. We're buying houses, buying land, paying off debt. And so there's a net worth we have here, and that's fine. But there's also a net worth that we're building in heaven. Have you ever thought about it like that? When we're rich towards God, we're actually building a net worth in heaven. I remember when, uh, before Alina and I actually got married, after I met her, I was really intrigued when I became to understand exactly what it meant to be a Christian and what God's word had to say. I was really intrigued to try to figure out what does he say about money? Because I was in the financial services industry and I wanted to know. And so as I was going through it and reading, I had the misconception that God wanted us to, t- to give everything we have away and just live off of the bare, bare minimums. And for some people, that may be fine. He may be calling us to that. But there is more of a balance that God teaches us in his word. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So you see there he tells us, don't get conceited. Don't think that it's all about you. Because as Proverbs talks about, riches will take flight, take wings, and fly off when we start trying to seek after it too much. But put your, certain, put your hope in God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So he gives us certain things. He puts, us, he puts certain things in our, in our lives for us to be able to enjoy. But then look at verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. So as we're using those things, he wants us to be rich towards him, be rich towards the kingdom. And then look at verse 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed, net worth in heaven. So we need to be rich towards God. So what does it look like to be rich towards God? The first thing that comes to mind is giving to your local church. Now, this is not a commercial to say, hey, you need to give more to Strong Tower. That's not what this is about. But since I'm here, um, (laughs) really, I want to commend us as a church and you as a congregation. Several weeks ago, Pastor Chris came and said, hey, we are our money is lower because our membership is lower. And as elders, we needed to cut the budget back dramatically. And we did that. And you'll see the the budget uh, in weeks to come. But we cut things back to what we feel like are the bare bones. And even then, with the money that was coming in at the time, things were, were not really adding up the way we wanted them to. But we said, you know, Lord, we're going to trust you. We feel like this is what we need to do. And as, I, as the elders and I talked on Friday in a meeting that we had Friday morning, we are running slightly ahead of budget so far this fiscal year. Amen. And it's because of the obedience of God's people and making sure they want to and making sure they invest 
into their local church. It also, in being rich towards God, it also looks like giving to places that feed our souls. Many of us are involved in other parachurch organizations. We listen to different ministries online or on TV, and it's okay to give to those ministries because they have to pay people, they have to keep the lights on, and so that looks, that's another way that we can be rich towards God. The Bible is chalk full of verses that talks about taking care of the poor. Many, many verses that talk about taking care of the poor. And I am really proud to be part of a church that takes that seriously. There are so many ministries that have been birthed from Strong Tower that focuses on that. We talked about Sophia's Heart early, earlier that takes care of the homeless and people in transitional housing with Clifton. Clifton is the executive director there. What we do with J.T. Moore in giving clothes and food and being there uh, so that kids can, that we can love on the kids and love on the administration. I think of Charles and Suzanne Robinson with the Red Road. They take baskets of hope to reservations up north and in Canada, meeting their physical needs, but then also meeting their spiritual needs by introducing people on the reservations to Jesus. And I know because I've, I've seen it or heard about it, there are people in our congregation that have fallen on hard times and others have come alongside them and are helping them with resources, whether it's food, cash, uh, letting them borrow cars, helping them find homes. These are all ways that we can make sure that we're being rich towards God. One of the things that we've been partakers of is when, when you have a child or when somebody is, is sick, having meals brought over. For somebody who doesn't cook, and, ha and I have to rely on my wife, and my kids don't want me to cook, that's a big deal to me. And so, uh, so that, these are all ways that we can, uh, that we, these are some of the ways that we can be rich towards God. But that's not really, again, what the culture tells us, is it? Because the culture will look and say, you give how much to God in his kingdom? Five, 10, 15, 20%? Don't you know what you can do with that? It doesn't make, it doesn't make human sense to, actually, to give money away. People say, yes, you can get a tax deduction for it, but you're still giving away that money. But God's kingdom says that when you give it away, God is faithful to make sure that he gives it back to you and, and he promises to meet every need that you have. So as I close, there are definitely differences in how Jesus wants us to view money and possessions than the way the culture says. The culture says, eat, drink, and be merry. It's all about you and you are what you own and you need to have more of it. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, watch out for that type of greedy thinking. You are not what you own. You are fine to enjoy it, but make sure that you're rich towards me. Now, I think if I ask for a show of hands here, everybody would say, yes, I believe that. And what I've realized in my own heart as I process through this, I believe it here. But if I'm honest, there are times that I might not believe it right here. Sometimes the hardest thing is to get it from here and let it make it travel those 18 inches to believe it right here. I've realized that sometimes as I have a steady diet of CNN, Fox, MSNBC, as I'm watching commercials and I'm looking at advertisements, sometimes I can get off balance and I can be swayed by what the culture is telling me to do. And at the heart of that, and I've seen this really at any econo uh, economic level, I've seen this question that I'm about to pose 
people struggle with this question who are multimillionaires and people who are just above the poverty line. And the question is, will I have enough? I think it all boils down to, do I feel like I'm going to have enough to take care of me for the rest of my life? Do I have enough to put the kids and send the kids to school? We, ha we may have aging parents. Do we have enough to make sure we take care of our aging parents and honor them by taking care of them? And I think one of the verses that I know has helped me and has probably helped a lot of other people is Matthew 6, where Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And so the natural question is, well, what are these things? Well, if you read before that, the, these things are clothing, food. I think we can also add shelter into that. But, look, but what does he want us to do first? He wants us to seek his kingdom first. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. We do what we can do, and we trust him with the outcome, because if we're going to have victory, he's the one that's going to cause us to have victory. So I'm sure I could probably pass the mic, and there are many people that probably have testimonies to say, yes, God has fulfilled this in my life. And so one of the things that I want to challenge us with is how we're actually viewing things as we go through this holiday season. Abraham Lincoln one time was asked after hearing a sermon, what did he think about the sermon? And he said, it was brilliantly conceived, biblical, relevant, and well presented. And so the person says, so you thought the sermon was great? And he said, no, I thought the preacher failed because he didn't challenge us to something great. My sermon may fail for a lot of different reasons, but it won't fail today because I failed to challenge you and us to something great. And so what I want to do is I want us to think, I'm going to read six questions, and these are going to be the same questions in our huddle groups on Wednesday night. But I want us to think, as we go through this holiday season, think about and beware of the influence that the culture has on us, because it's very subtle. And as I read these six questions, I want us to just think and ask God, what is it that you want me to concentrate on? Is there something, Holy Spirit, that I need to make sure I focus on? And anything that he touches there, then ponder that over the next weeks as we enter into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. So here are these six questions. How do you feel you have been influenced by the culture in your view of money and possessions? Do you get your self-worth from the things you have? Do you acknowledge God's hand in your successes, or do you think you've done it by yourself? How has God met your needs in ways that were unexpected? Do you ever wonder, consciously or subconsciously, will I have enough? And how are we passing a biblical view of money and possessions onto our children? So if God's put, a, put his finger on something as I read those questions, ponder it. Ask him to kind of flesh that out for you and pray through that and see what he wants you to do. And remember, we are not our possessions. Our fulfillment and our satisfaction comes from Christ and Christ alone, an ongoing relationship with our Savior. Thank you.